Welcome to Thrive, a Paychex business podcast where you'll hear timely insights to help you navigate marketplace dynamics and propel your business forward. Here's your host, Gene Marks. Hey everybody and welcome. This is Gene Marks talking and uh, you know, I'm I'm you're about to listen to a conversation that I have with Gilad Edelman who covers technology and politics for Wired magazine. He's been writing for Wired for a number of years now and basically his his deal is 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 the the overlapping behind big tech and government. Uh, we're talking Facebook, Google, Amazon, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, uh, all of these big platforms are platforms that, that you and I rely on to run our businesses. There are freelancers on, you know, out there that, that get their entire livelihoods from operating on some of these platforms. And there are a lot of other of us that, that, that generate leads and new work by advertising on these platforms. So, uh, you know, you, there, there are rules that we have to follow and there are questions that need to be answered questions about privacy, questions about are these platforms just getting too big and monopolistic, you know, questions about the rise of Amazon as a, as a search engine giant and whether or not we should be advertising there versus just advertising on Google. And the fact that we can only advertise on Google is is a little frustrating for a lot of business owners. So Galad covers all of this and, and our conversation is gonna be about what he sort of recommends, how he feels the impact of these big tech companies are having on small businesses and also where he thinks some of this stuff is going in the years to come. He'll, he'll do his best to make some predictions for us. So again, if you're in the online world, if you've got activity on Google, Facebook, you know, you know, uh, Instagram, YouTube, um, all this affects you. So to know the latest stuff that's going on and, and where things are heading, I think you'll enjoy this conversation very much. So we'll be back in just a minute. All right, everybody, thanks for joining me. I'm really happy to be here with Elad. We're going to be talking about um, all sorts of things that are affecting your business from a social media privacy standpoint. That is what he covers, um, the political aspects of technology. Uh, but before we even get in there, so Galad, thanks for joining me. Um, tell me a little bit about your 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 background and, and how you ended up at, at Wired. Sure. So uh, like a lot of uh, people who don't know what to do with their lives, I went to law school before <laughs> getting into journalism and uh, realized pretty quickly I did not want to be a lawyer. So uh, that so what did I want to do? Well, I always had aspired to be a journalist, but didn't know how to start. And the fear of spending my life instead writing legal motions was the kick in the pants I needed. So after law school, I uh, freelanced for a bit and then I got a job at a small Washington, D.C. magazine called Washington Monthly, which is this very uh, wonky policy oriented magazine. And while I was there, I edited and wrote a few stories about big tech and right. um, the we, we were very interested in antitrust and monopolies so that's where the kind of interests converged and so then from there I got hired by Wired uh, my my title is politics editor but I end up writing about all the you know all the the places where the the tech industry intersects with with concerns that are that we might think of as more political or government related so things like privacy and, and monopoly power uh and and online free speech uh and you know so every once in a while i i feel like i'm getting a little bit of value out of the you know hundred fifty thousand dollars or whatever that i paid for the law degree uh but <laughs> and still paying on, only so yeah, <laughs> yes i am yeah um, well, that's good. So obviously, you've got that, you know, you've got a political background, you got a bit of a legal background as well. And, and obviously, politics and technology have been so overlapping of late. Um, 
you know, earlier this year, uh, Parler, which was a you know a, you know, a right of center social media site, kind of like Twitter, um, was taken down. Uh, it was it was operating on Amazon Web Services, which is the largest hosting service I think in the world, um, and it was taken down for for various reasons. Amazon said that it was uh, violating their rules, and it was a big controversial thing. It was very highly politicized. Um, I wrote about it actually in the Hill, um, and I actually talked about it. Um, I, I had this back and forth with uh, Maria Bartiromo of all people on on Fox Business wow. about. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was. To me, as a, my point of view as a business owner is, um, this is a le- forget about politics. This is a this is a real lesson for for business owners themselves. In other words, you know the social media platforms that we're operating on. Galad, these are not um, these are not utilities. They're not publicly you know owned you know quasi governmental you know organizations. They're private corporations, and we have to abide by those rules. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? It's really complicated. This, what you just said packed a lot of complexity in. So I absolutely, so let's, so, so in the, in the, in the parlor story, it wasn't just Amazon web services. What, what made it even more interesting is that it also the Google and, and Apple app stores yes. uh, kicked, kicked parlor off. And, um, or you know what I, I should say, I don't remember if they even had an Android app, but I do know that, uh, that the app, that Apple kicked them out of the app store and that was like a death sentence because they were in you know social media app in 2021 you're it's mobile right people yes. very few people are accessing that on their desktop so what this episode revealed was you know there's there's a lot of controversy over there already was a lot of controversy over the content moderations that the social networks were doing themselves so twitter facebook what do they allow and parlor was controversial for allowing more it, it advertised itself it doesn't advertise it itself as a conservative network it advertises itself as a free speech network where they're right. going to where they're going to be much more hands off with what you're allowed to post and what this controversy which took place in the aftermath of the January 6th uh rioting at the capitol where there was just a a, a widespread sense of somebody's got to do something about this what this rev- what this did was it pushed that controversy one step further I can't remember if it's up the stack or down the stack because I'm a, I'm a writer, not a technologist. But, uh, uh, right? It took the decision making up from the level of the social media platforms themselves to the to the uh, technological infrastructure that they rely on to reach customers or users, and so that includes Amazon's cloud service, but it also includes the companies that control the distribution of apps, Apple. Right. So. Um, to your question, do I agree that the the companies that run these platforms need to be able to enforce their own rules? Yes. Stated at that degree of generality, yes. But I think there are two things that make it a little bit more complicated. One is that there's very little... Um, there, there, there's, it's, it's not clear to me what guardrails exist to make sure they're, they're in, enforcing those rules fairly or consistently. And I think in the case of Parler itself, you know, I was on the phone with their executives when this was happening and they felt very persecuted. And they're, you know, an interesting, uh, the leadership of the company at the time was colorful, but I don't think they're completely making, I don't think they were completely making that up because I think how many apps in the app store do you think um, Apple and Google have really gone, or or Amazon for that matter, you, you really think that they've got a team of people spending 
you know, wading through all the terms of service and seeing how they're applied? I don't think so, right? I think a crisis happens and they respond to the crisis. So issue one, I would say, is consistency and fairness. And right now, I think it's kind of like Scout's honor. Hmm. And then I'm sorry, this is such a long answer, but just the- No, keep going. That's great. The last thing that I'll say is um, I agree with you. These are not public utilities. However- it is the case that a very small number of companies, especially when it comes to app distribution, a very small number of companies have government-like power to determine who gets act, you know, who 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 can uh, access the market. And in those circumstances, it is fair to say there, that we might need rules. You might need different rules in markets that are so concentrated. Uh, than you would if there were, you know, 20 cloud hosting providers and 20 app stores. What do you think um, if you're if you're running a business um, and say you're you're really dependent on a social media platform, uh, you know, like, you know, like a Facebook, um, really like like an OnlyFans, you know, uh, you know, and and um, and then the rules change, you know, I mean, what do you think? What impact does that have on? freelancers, entrepreneurs, small businesses that that kind of rely on those platforms for their livelihoods. What advice would you have for those for those business owners? Have a backup plan. <laughs> this is something Why? that has hit this is something that hits my business hard. It, it, it's been well documented how a, a lot of media organizations made these big bets on different platforms, especially Facebook. And yeah. like the, the, the messiest version of this was the, the famous pivot to video where a lot of publications decided that the big thing to do was, was create video content for Facebook. And then one, one reason that unraveled is it turns out that Facebook had been accidentally, they say, uh, wildly inflating the, in, the metrics on how those videos were performing. And the bottom really dropped out of that business strategy. But this cost people jobs. You know, writers were fired to make room on the payroll for video editors. Mm-hmm. So that, that's an example for my business. It, it, it does feel like you have to... I mean, I'll just talk about what, what's going on in journalism because that's the business that I know a little bit. Sure. Um, one trend you're seeing uh, very, very broadly across the business is a push to uh, be let... You know, be get more revenue from subscriptions and uh, have more direct uh, economic transactions with audience and, and also sponsors uh, than, than before to, and and one reason for that is to like minimize our reliance on these intermediary platforms. Right. Um, It's a little bit more complicated if you're somebody who's, whose line of work didn't even exist until the platforms, right? There's, there's people who make a living, on YouTube, right? And if YouTube went away or kicked them off, they there's there's no there really is no alternative to that, right? And uh, so yeah, I guess for that person, my advice would be, you know, marry someone with a steady job. I, that's exactly right. Or cozy up to your rich uncle because I do think about um, you know the freelancers that do rely on sites. Like YouTube is a perfect example um, because you're right. If YouTube changed its its rules of engagement. Uh, or if it bans YouTube, you know, creators, and, and it has in the past, based on their behavior, uh, and and like you just said, the rules that they have, 
Um, sometimes they're applied inconsistently, but but you had mentioned like who knows if they even have enough resources to really fairly apply those rules across all their users. I mean, right? They have like you know billions of users. It, it's kind of tough for one company to monitor that. Um, you could be set up for a big problem with your business if you are just reliant on that stream of revenue for your business. Definitely. I mean, one of the, one of the big kind of underappreciated trends I think of the current internet economy is that a lot of it is just kind of a customer service problem. Mm. If you, you know, the the, the the biggest platforms are so big that they, and I'm, I apologize for the background noise here. It's um, okay. The, the, the big platforms are so big and so successful and have so many users that they, 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 they might say they can't. The truth is no one is making them provide the resources that you would need to like reach the help desk. Yeah. So if you're having a problem with YouTube, with your YouTube channel or your, or getting Google ads approved for your small business, unless you're a real big fish, you might just not really be able to talk to anyone who's in any position to help you resolve the problem. And that is because uh, that's because of this combination of they have so many users that they try to automate as much as possible. But then also because they don't face competition, they don't really have to worry about this YouTube creator's fed up. So he's going to take his talents to that other really big viable uh, video platform. So, you know, they don't have to, uh, cater quite as hard uh, or c cater quite as attentively, I suppose, to people's complaints. You know, you mentioned YouTube, uh, which we've been talking about, which is owned by Google. Um, Gilad, do you think, do you think Google is a monopoly? Um, so yes, but we should unpack what that even means. Okay. Um, a, a few points. First, it's, it's good to keep in mind that for the purposes of, of antitrust law, being a mon monopoly is kind of an unfortunate word because everybody knows mono means one, but you don't have to literally be the only company in a market to be a monopoly for legal purposes. That's just one thing to keep in mind. Okay. Google is such an interesting case because they dominate several industries simultaneously. And that is presents its own kind of competition problem, but it's also helpful to try to pull apart the different lines of business Google's in. So the, the easiest one is search. Google is just any way you want to slice it, obviously monopolizes search, or you could describe it as the market for search advertising. But we're talking about, you know, 90% market share. Right. And that is, that's at the heart of Google's business. I mean, if you, they're, they're, it's such a complicated company, but, but most of the money still today comes from search advertising. And so that is just a really obvious one. And, uh, that being said, Google also has arguably monopoly level shares of at least two other markets. So uh, mobile operating systems, Android is the most popular globally, and it's a little bit less than half the market in the United States. So you could say that it and Apple have a duopoly, but that shouldn't, I don't think that should make us feel great. Like right. it's significant that they both have been taking the exact same 30% cut of in-app purchases right it's not like that's, that's an odd coincidence if this was a market with real competition no one thought hey what if we do 29 percent um so so there, so that's two right so it's so we've got search and we've got mobile operating systems and then um the third uh the third area would be uh uh advertising on the open web 
and this is something that I'm sure your your listeners have some familiarity with, but the average person I don't think kind of understands that the architecture of how ads are served everywhere on the web that's not a social media platform, Google is by far the dominant player there. And there's been some really interesting academic work pointing out that because Google controls both the buy side and the sell side and the exchange um, when, of, of online ads, yep. that uh, it's, if, if, you thought, if you analyze this in terms of securities law, you'd realize this is an absolute scandalous set of state yeah, of affairs. I, I have to I have to say I, I was just talking about this with another social media expert on on a previous episode that we did. And um so Gilad like as a as a small business owner myself, you know, I if I want to advertise on Google, first of all my choice is to advertise online. You're right. It's it's just Google. Um secondly, if I'm gonna spend a thousand dollars in advertising, um first of all I'm gonna be buried by the bigger advertisers who, like you said earlier, are likely to get, they're going to get more of the customer service. But more importantly, I don't understand, I, and I talk to clients about this too, I don't understand how I can give Google $1,000 of my money and they come back to me and report to me what clicks there were that ate up that budget. You know, like it's not coming from an outside source right. or independently, you know what I mean? It's like you're giving money to like, you know, to like the, the, the lion and the lion is saying, yeah, I spent your money wisely. You know what I mean? I, you know, you know it's like, you don't even, you, you don't even really have any outside authentication um, as to, you know, what's eating up that budget. Uh, and, and so does that, when you cover Google, when you cover, um, the, the concerns that people have about a company like that, don't you think it pushes small businesses? It just, it just makes this a really difficult option for us to even consider and, and for, for online advertising, if anything else? Absolutely. I mean, I think, I think that's a really great point. It's, you know, there's this saying, the scandal isn't what's illegal, it's what's legal. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I, I have that thought so often when it comes to how, uh, how the biggest tech companies operate because they just, they were born in a moment where we, the government had sort of decided not to really regulate uh, very much and look at these wonderful, valuable companies and now they've matured and they're allowed to do a, a lot of stuff that when you step back and just describe it seems kind of crazy. Um, I think this. I think the issue of, of how this stuff affects small business is really interesting and it's really complicated. On the one hand, uh, you, 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 Google and Facebook will say, our advertising tools are an absolute boon to small businesses because it's so much cheaper. Right. Uh, you know, I, you, you, you have a startup that you're running out of your home. You can't afford TV advertising. Uh, so, you, you know, it's so cheap. You just set up your own little shop here with Google search ads or Facebook or Instagram direct response ads. And, and you can find small business owners who have a lot of success with that. You, you, there's a lot. I'm sure you have a lot of listeners who, who are saying to themselves right now, yeah, I ran an ad campaign on Instagram and it worked great. At the same time, however, it's small business, if we zoom out a little bit, it's not doing great. It's not like the rise of Facebook and Google as ad platforms have coincided with a period of increased startup creation. In fact, it's the opposite. At, at, at best, it seems to be just basically stagnant. If you look at the uh, statistics compiled by um, by the federal government, you, 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 would, you would think that the introduction of these wonderful tools for, uh, for small business development, me meaning Google and Facebook ads, 
you would you would expect that to coincide with more small business creation. Sure. Um, and it and it doesn't. And I I I can't prove to you what that means, but what it makes me think is that yeah, you can find a lot of success stories. You can also find a lot of failure stories, which has been true since the for as long as people have been starting businesses. But it, it should make you question whether these platforms are really net advances, because you have to ask, well, what would the like what would the alternate world look like if you didn't have these intermediary advertising platforms sitting in between small businesses and customers? Sure. So you cover a lot of big tech. Um, I, I haven't seen, I didn't go back that far in your writings, but I wasn't seeing anything specifically being written about Amazon. And I believe, you know, I mean, Amazon is, is part of this big tech crowd. And, and the reason why I bring them up is I, I, you know, have you, have you given thought or, or for, again, from a small business owner standpoint, you mentioned before about when you're doing searching online, um, you know, the statistics are also showing that when people are searching to buy something or products rather than going to Google, they use Amazon as their search engine. And Amazon is having a, a, a growing by leaps and bounds advertising business, um, specifically for their, their smaller merchants, but obviously some of their bigger ones as well. Do you think that Amazon is going to give Google, Facebook a, a run for their money, actually provide that level of you know choice, maybe instead of a duopoly, it's a... Three I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, a lot, a lot, um, because I just moved and yeah. I've been buying a lot of stuff and yeah. I don't do all Amazon. My, I don't do all my shopping online and, I, and I'm actually pretty, you know, I'm a niche consumer who will do weird things like go to the actual website of the product that I'm buying and order <laughs> it from them, even though it's going to take longer to ship because I don't, because right. I'm too aware of the cut that I'd otherwise be paying to an e-commerce site for no reason. It rhymes with, let's say, Jamazon. Um, <laughs> But um, I think so. So anyway, one thing that I've noticed, and I think this is everyone uh, has had this experience lately, is you type in, you could type in a specific product. And what are the top results on Amazon? Right. Not that product. That's they, right. they sell it, but you have to scroll past a, like a full page of ads. And then even after you get past the ads, you might not be seeing the thing you're searching for. Because over the years, I was just, I was just talking about this yesterday. This is Amazon is an e-commerce site, right? It is a it is a it is a website where you go to buy things. You would think that the process of finding the thing you're looking for would be core to the the UX on that site. And it's not anymore, right? Why is that? Well, it must be because Amazon makes more money uh by showing you things that you weren't looking for, whether yeah. it's ads, uh that's that's the primary category. Right. Or just other products that for some reason uh, are, would be are better for Amazon to sell to you. And this to me, to go back to the question of monopoly power, the, you know, what, one way that the law and economics fields define monopoly power is when you're so powerful that you can you can do things that are bad for the customer and not suffer any consequences. And this is a really clear, ex I don't think there is a clearer example. They've made it harder, they've made it like really hard to find the thing you're looking for and it's a shopping site. That tells you <laughs> that they have so much power that they're not worried about customers going somewhere else to find what they're looking for. Well, you, now, know, it also, you know, it also tells me as well, like, you know, if I'm searching for squash balls, you know, because I play squash. And same thing, I'll put that into Google. The, it's a full page of Amazon ads of other things. 
um, which tells me that Amazon has got the resources and the power, the money to just dominate the keywords on anything related to this in Google. I mean, you know, any small company that's selling squash balls can't even, you know, they won't even be anywhere near the first two pages because right. big brands like Amazon dominate, push them out. Right. And these are called, you know, you've heard the phrase barriers to entry. This is a kind of barrier to entry, right? But yeah. a company that's doing so well can devote can devote resources to to protecting its competitive advantage. And, and I mean, just to go back, you you, you, made, you brought up the really important point about the, that when you said the duopoly giving way to a third competitor. Yeah. We're like when it comes to the digital advertising market, absolutely. For years, it was accurate to say Facebook and Google account for more than ninety percent of. Excuse me all growth in it was like 99% of all growth right. in online advertising it was something insane. Right. In the past few years, you have to say, you have to, you know, you get a note from your editor and Amazon because Amazon has been like broken into, uh, into this market. And that's reflected in the experience of being someone who shops on Amazon, because th th think about it, you're seeing all these ads, Amazon's making more money off ads. Oh, those two things go together. So why, why has Amazon been able to have this meteoric uh, uh, growth in its ad revenue? And it seems to be the case, and this is an, this, it certainly seems to be the case to the attorneys general of the uh, various United States who are suing mm -hmm. Amazon, um, that it just has this gatekeeper power. And if you, I mean, it's very similar to being having the experience of a small business, and you you have to pay for Google search ad. You have to pay for your own brand name. You have to, you have to pay, you know, you have to buy those keyword searches. It's a keyword right for your own company. For your own company, <laughs> because yeah. if because you're worried about if people search for, uh, you know, to keep it in uh, uh, squash, you know, if they're searching for uh, squash racket, who, who makes squash rackets? Shoes, Harrow. <laughs> yeah, they're searching right. for Hera that like Spalding Racket's gonna is gonna have bought that search term and come up first. Right. So so now the same thing's happening on Amazon, right? If you're selling on it, if if you, Amazon has done a really effective job at sort of becoming an uh, an an indispensable part of of a business strategy for so many merchants, so, you know who. This isn't universally true, but it is broadly true that if you don't have access to Amazon, you're you know you're you're done. So in in that um, in in that uh, situation, I think there's a lot of businesses out there that just ha feel like they have to pay for Amazon ads because now they know the organic results are going to be buried. Right. Um, and that, see, I mean, gosh, just as a person who buys stuff online, that doesn't just seems kind of unfair. It does. It does. So we're listen. You cover this for a living, and and you overlap between the political side of this and obviously the technology side. So you know, where where do you think this is heading, Galad? I mean, you know, I, it it seems like neither the Democrats or the Republicans are crazy about big tech, although they're you know big tech funds so many of their campaigns. <laughs> um, the public seems to be in mostly agreement, although we love. Amazon, you know, we, we love searching on Google. I mean, everybody understands all the benefits of these great platforms, but we also recognize that these, these companies really seem to have a little bit too much power. You know, when I can be talking about 
playing squash in front of my Amazon Alexa and then start getting fed ads for squash rackets on Instagram. There's something really weird going on here. So uh, where do you think this is heading? Do you, do you, do you foresee a, you know, a breakup of these large technology companies? Because this will impact small businesses. It absolutely will impact small businesses. I, I hate trying to make predictions. Understood. Um, it's, it's, it's always been safe. You know, it's always been a safe conservative investment to bet against uh, government uh, you know, fixing problems, and especially when that involves regulating really valuable industries. So, sure. you know, if you're close to retirement, that's that's probably the the, the bet that I would make. Um, but there is a lot of action. There's a lot of action going on, and it's coming from three distinct sources within the United States, and then plus a lot of of activity going on internationally. Um, first, you have uh, Congress. So there 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 is real bipartisan interest in passing new antitrust laws. I don't think that, uh, I'm, I'm not super bullish on certainly the, any aggressive antitrust legislation making it through because we see, you know, Congress, uh, um, you know, the Republican party is so, uh, obstructionist that Congress can't even agree to, you know, pay back America's existing debts. So it's sort of, a kind of dreary, dreary thing to pin one's hopes on. So, so maybe, you know, maybe we'll see some decent legislation come through. I don't know. Right. It's, it's certainly something that the White House is interested in. And you've got Democrats and Republicans who, especially in the House, who are like sincerely interested in, in fixing some of these issues. Okay. You got that. You've got, then you've got lawsuits by the dozen. Right. Against Good Google, point. against Facebook, against Amazon, against Apple. Um, well, Apple, it's, it's been a civil lawsuit brought by, by Epic, the game, the gaming company, but there's, we know that there's government lawsuits sort of waiting to be sprung. Um, and you know, these lawsuits face a uphill battle because, um, the, the federal judiciary, the, the doctrine of antitrust law has since the 1970s become increasingly, uh, favorable to, uh, dom to, to monopolists, essentially. Mm -hmm. it's, it's just long story short, it's just gotten really hard to win an antitrust lawsuit. If you're mm -hmm. the, if you're trying to break a company up or get them to stop doing something that's unfair. Right. So they, they're, they all face uphill battles, but, but that doesn't mean that, that none of them are going to succeed. And then finally, you've got the federal trade commission, uh, which uh, is now led by Lena Khan, uh, who was my law school classmate and mm -hmm. is, uh, her, you know, her, her claim to fame is that she's an incredibly, you know, she has a very aggressive and, and, and coherent and kind of visionary, um, you know, view of how antitrust law needs to be more vigorously enforced, particularly against, but not exclusively against the big tech companies. And one way that manifests is lawsuits. So the FTC is one of the entities that's bringing some of these lawsuits that I was talking about. But the other thing that the FTC can do is set rules. And that I think is the place, uh, especially if I'm a business owner, you know, I, I would, to the extent that I'm paying attention to this stuff, I'd, I would keep an eye on what's the FTC up to? What kind of rules are they proposing? Because they have a lot of untapped power um, to, to declare certain kinds of business contact to be unfair methods of competition. And then you're just not allowed to do them. So I'm talking about, you know, privacy stuff. I'm very curious what the FTC is going to do about privacy sure. and data use. Um, certain kinds of contracts. I would not be surprised if the FTC cracked down on 
click wrap bullshit where you uh, you know agree to some terms that we all know nobody reads, and, and sure. then it turns out that you agreed that you'll never sue the company and <laughs> all kinds of nonsense. Um, and uh, so, th- so I think that that's a really interesting domain. Glad Edelman uh, covers technology and politics for Wired. Uh, very much appreciate you joining me. Glad it was a great conversation. Uh, still have other topics to cover with you in the future, I hope, including your, I think you, you wanted to bring back cargo pants. Uh, we're we're going to have to talk about that some other time. But, uh, hey, listen, man. Those clicks don't. Uh, those clicks don't uh, are, come out of nowhere. Sometimes you guys, sometimes you gotta bait the reader. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thanks. Uh, congratulations on your move to California as well. And thank uh, you. Great work that you do at Wired. So if you wanna, if you guys wanna you know, listen to uh, read, you know, Glaude's writings are all covering, uh, you know, politics and technology. Check them out on Wired.com. Again, thank you so much, and I look forward to speaking with you later. Take care. Do you have a topic or a guest that you would like to hear on Thrive? please let us know. Visit payx.me forward slash Thrive Topics and send us your ideas or matters of interest. Also, if your business is looking to simplify your HR, payroll, benefits, or insurance services, see how Paychex can help. Visit the resource hub at paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Paychex can help manage those complexities while you focus on all the ways you want your business to thrive. I'm your host, Gene Marks, and thanks for joining us. Till next time, take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc. 2021, all rights reserved.